Welcome to Fundraising Stories with Female Founders. I'm Julia Elliott-Brown, the founder and CEO of Enter the Arena. I'm a serial entrepreneur and an expert in raising investment and business growth. Our mission at Enter the Arena is to empower female founders to fly through pre-raise and investment and onto the exponential growth of their business with investment expertise and business coaching. Here we share the stories of inspirational female founders who've raised investment to inspire you to do the same. You'll hear their honest accounts of what it was really like to secure funding, the highs, the lows and the challenges they experienced on the journey. And along the way, we'll discuss top tips for how you can be successful too. Catherine Bedford from Dashiell, an innovative company that designs and manufactures cycle helmets that are designed for urban cyclists. Catherine set up Dashiell in 2017 when she spotted a gap in the market for a helmet that cyclists would want to wear with their regular clothes to get about town. And also a product that was made in the UK with great craftsmanship and the finest materials. In the last few years, Catherine has raised a total of £425,000 in funding through angel investors to help her drive business growth. So let's find out more about the journey that Catherine's been on, get the lowdown on the challenges she faced raising investment, how she overcame them and her top tips on fundraising. So welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Thanks, Julia. So you set the business up back in 2017. Um, Tell us how Dashell came about. What made you want to start this business up? Um, Well, I think for many years, I'd worked in product development for big brands. So I worked in trend forecasting, going to help big brands look for gaps in the market, think about the products and the ranges that they could develop. And then I would find them designers that could actually go and develop the products for them. And this is not just products, it was new brands, retail environments, working with hotels. So I guess I'd done it for a long time with other people's budgets and working with the constraints of being in a big organisation and just always wanted to try and do it myself. And, and so why, why cycle helmets? just felt that I didn't like them many years ago. I first came up with it, although the company launched in 2017, the idea for a new cycle helmet came about in 2012. And uh, then all of the helmets available in the UK were the very traditional racing helmets. So the inverted bird's nest, more vent than helmet, very much, you know, for if you're racing around. And I wanted something that just suited my regular style of commuting, which would often be if it was under five miles, I'd just be wearing a pair of jeans. Um, I also had one child at that point. Uh, they were cycling and I really thought, oh, I ought to make them wear a helmet. I don't wear one myself. And so it grew from there. Okay, that's fantastic. So, I mean, and tell us a bit more about the helmet then. What makes it special? I mean, I've, I've looked at your website. They look really beautifully designed. Tell us about the, the other kind of things that this helmet does. I sort of wondered why they all stuck out so much from your head. And so I was looking at if you, I found out that if you did spend a little bit more on the liner that actually goes inside it, a slightly slimmer amount of foam gives exactly the same safety results as one that's much fatter. Um, so that costs more to develop, but the end thing is something that people really quite like to wear. And actually it's really safe to have something close to your head. If you fall off, you don't want to have something sticking out so you catch your neck more, you want to glide with it on your head. But actually, I don't talk about falling off that much. It's actually quite hard. People do have accidents on their bike. So it's a kind of what-if purchase, and you might as well have something that you love wearing and that you just feel suits you. Because if you're confident, you're going to cycle better than if you're feeling a little bit nervous or silly. 
yeah that makes a lot of sense so when you started the business Catherine were you um were you working for another company at that time or yeah. did you you were so you, did you decide to kind of make the leap to setting this up or did you do it as a kind of side hustle for a bit I was working three days a week for a company at the time so I had time in the spare two days to look at developing it um but pretty soon, when I think so two years on, when it started getting to prototype stage, I realised that I wasn't going to be able to do um, enough work for the business I was working for. And so possibly I did resign a little too early for my job, thinking we were nearly there, that manufacturing pulled through, and it didn't realise at all that it would take another three years to get the helmet to, to market. Wow, that's amazing. Quite a long time, isn't it? <laughs> so in those, you know, when you started up with the business, Catherine, uh, did you need a lot of money, I guess, to get things off the ground? Yes. And I really underestimated how much money it would take to get the business up and running. It took me, as it does for most people, years just to get over the regular amount of debt you get by going to university. You have all of your student loans. I guess by the time I was in my early 30s, I was in a well-paid job. And I was able to bank the commission that I was getting and bank renewal fees. And so I had a five figure sum, which I thought would easily get me to market. Um, but it was very, 10,000 pounds ran out extremely quickly. Mm. And then I had a little bit more and that ran out. And it was lucky that someone told me about the startup loan because I hadn't seen that that was available. Um, I might have applied for that earlier, which I think would have been a help. And also the support they give you on how to fundraise and move on from that. Yeah, that, so let's talk about the startup loan then. So, um, I mean, this is a brilliant scheme that is backed by the government where each director of a business can get up to £25,000, isn't it? Which is actually quite a decent sum when you're right at the start of your journey. And you got yours through Virgin, isn't it? I did, yes. I had a look at the people operating the scheme. And actually, Virgin had been one of my clients for years. I'd worked with Virgin Management, Virgin Atlantic. I did like the brand, the way the organisation was run. So... I thought they'd probably do it really well, and they did. Um, part of the appeal with the startup loan was the amount of support you got. It was really, so you jumped through a lot of hoops to get the startup loan. You have to do a really strong business plan. Um, the one thing I thought I was really strong on was marketing, but they critiqued my brand and marketing plan. It was really good having a third party saying, no, that won't wash. Um, they made me go out to stores and so talk to them and see if they would place orders. Um, we went through a lot. Um, and then eventually got the got the loan through and then the support continued which is great so there'd be different uh, seminars we can go and meet journalists there's opportunities to go on accelerators which i didn't take or learn about equity crowdfunding i met somebody who i did some pr with me through virgin so i'd really recommend it as a scheme because i think they really check the business is viable before they lend the money so it's a good way of again just testing your business idea um because if you won't get the funding for it then i think you really have to question if it's worth worth going on with yeah i think it's a great scheme i actually do some i do some mentoring through that scheme and i think it's really valuable as you say it's not just about the the money but it's about the support you get around it yes. it's quite quite interesting i mean some entrepreneurs are a bit nervous about taking on debt at the yeah. beginning. Um, did you feel nervous about that at all? Did you feel I'm relentlessly optimistic? <laughs> I thought, you know, there's Malone. I'll be manufacturing within a year. That will be fine. The five hundred pounds a month, um, you know, repayments won't be an issue. And I think just my advice to anybody developing a product from scratch, and everyone tells this, you think, no, I'll be fine. It does take two or three times longer than you think it's going to. 
mm-hmm. and a lot more money and yes. you don't know what you don't know into what manufacturers can do wrong mistakes get made you have to fix things it takes a long time to create the tools you make the products from um so it was a little worry uh, the debt yes it is quite a lot as a small business to take on and to pay back but luckily we did get to market in early 2017 um and so in that way it did work yeah and i think i mean there's a couple of things about taking on debt you know if you're not prepared to take on some personal debt to move yeah. your business forward then why on earth would you expect investors to back you so it kind of feels to me that you should back yourself first yes no i agree um, and the other thing of course is it also helps you to move the business so much further forward before you take investment so you you're still owning 100% of your business mm-hmm. for for much longer I which agree. puts you in a better position doesn't it no, it really does. It's so important. So yeah. I put in even more than that, more savings. Um, there's not really any jewellery left. I did have <laughs> a property that I'd bought in my 20s because I was working abroad. And um, I sold that and put that into the business. So, yes, there was about over £105,000, yeah. which is a director's loan, which will interest-free, which will pay back to myself if, we, if and when we get into profit. Yeah, but that fundamentally shows your absolute belief. It in does. And I think that's so important for investors. The minute they learn that and they see that, um, and there's your earned money that you've put in, then it, they really, it's, they, they're very respectful about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you put everything at risk to make it work. So that gives them confidence. <laughs> so, that, so then you got to a point where you realised that you needed to get more funding and this time you wanted to go out for equity investment so how far had you got along with the business by the point where you thought right I'm going to need some investors now I got to the point where I had got one size of the cycle helmet the medium size through tooling and through the safety tests so then I needed investment to develop the entire range so I needed the small and the large size Um, we'd been unlucky the safety test house had written up the results wrongly I needed money to work out what had gone wrong in development and um, that had slowed us down a lot so I couldn't work out why something had worked in one size and it didn't in another and that took a little while to unravel Um, but yes the investment allowed me to develop the full range of sizes and get to market and actually I went out March 2017 for SEIS investment Um, we got the investment through in August we did actually get two sizes ready by September enough to launch and the final one in January 2018 so we were then earning money quite quickly from receiving that investment so it was the right time it would have been hard to have had investment a year or two years earlier and had people breathing down my neck as we unraveled what was going wrong at the prototype stage Mm. so then I had investors at the right time when I could start to report on sales and what the market was thinking and stores and yeah it was a nice experience having investors at that stage yeah but you went out for investment at the point where you hadn't yet taken the product to market that's right yes very much so yeah it's hard isn't it I mean that's that's a challenging time lots of people kind of tend to get the response where investors will say yeah well yeah come back when you've got some sales and I'll talk to you I found I didn't go out to that many people so I think I went to one I was introduced to one or two angel investors and I don't think they particularly got the product or the market and so just the conversation didn't even develop that far but then I next went in to see a private equity company. So only my third meeting with this concept, um, with the market. And um, they were very keen and were actually keen to fund the whole amount that I was looking for. 
just at the same time I'd had one angel who'd agreed that he would take 50,000 of the SCIS. They then said, we have to choose. You're either going to you work with him and somebody else or we'll take the whole amount. Mm. So do you feel that the, the fact that you were SCIS, um, which stands for Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme, qualified, Yes. Made, made the difference because that first 150k it's really tax efficient isn't it for people to back you at that point it is i think the seis scheme is just brilliant mm. i mean it was invented wasn't it because the banks weren't lending to entrepreneurs and the government was trying to find a way to get money to us and i just don't think i'd have raised the money for an idea at that stage mm. in the business without the seis scheme mm. and later I actually didn't go with the private equity company in the end. I worked with other angels and some people didn't even realize this scheme existed. And so talking to investors, you know, very you know, amateur investors had a little bit of money and were interested. They just thought it was incredible that I had somebody call me after he'd signed up to SEIS and I've actually got a check for half my money back. I just thought it'd be a tax break. I've actually got half my stake back immediately. This is incredible. And it's a really good scheme yeah amazing but I'm amazed they didn't know about it but there you go you're educating investors <laughs> so how, so so okay how did you find those angel investors then for that first round uh my main investor I had met his wife we'd had our first children at the same time and we were both having to get back to work very quickly because both our husbands were suddenly not earning her husband was going setting up his own startup um, so he knew my work ethic and he then built up his business from that stage very quickly to be a multi-million pound skincare brand. So when it came to the point when he was close to selling it, it was just the point when I was just getting there with my business and looking for investment. So she and him already knew my work ethic. They loved the product and um, they agreed to be my first investor to take £50,000 stake, which is great. Amazing. So they were your lead. So through your yes, network. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, they were lead investors. Yeah. And then did they help you bring in the other investors to complete the 150k round? Uh, one acquaintance of theirs joined the round. Mm -hmm. The private equity company in the end ducked out very quickly, nothing to do with me. In the end, they agreed to take 100,000, the private equity company, and mm -hmm. um, son and his wife took 50,000. When the private equity company dropped out, I was very quickly trying to finance finance at that stage. They found one person for me. Um, the rest were mainly through my network of um, actually, I'm probably not allowed to say, one of the people in the private equity company backed with his own money because he wasn't happy with what went on. He went on to be a board. I probably can't say that. Interesting. Well, so, 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 so reasonably quickly, yes, you managed to kind of get that investment through people you know and some connections yes mm. not sort of sort of friends of friends or just talking to people when I was out about the cycle helmet and um, one person one of the investors had his own network so he went out and found another couple of people who interviewed me about the business and then decided to invest Wow. Okay. So let's talk about the process that you went through. So when it's people that you know, or who, I mean, you talked a lot about how they know your work ethic. They, they know you really well. Did you still need to go through the discipline of talking about the business strategy, going through your financials and all of that stuff, even though there were people that knew oh, you? Oh, yes. I, I worked with an accountant before I did this. So I looked into very much, these are the costs. Um, this is what we'll take to scale. These are the costs that we'll, we will incur as we scale, as we have to create additional tools and just simply how the forecasts work. 
Mm. So, you know, how I intended to grow the business over five years. That was always, no matter how well I knew someone, I think everyone needs to see that. Mm. It's sort of very much all the overheads you expect to take on and at what level. And I think that was really useful because investors were then also giving me a lot of advice. Well, I don't think you've allowed enough for this. I think you need this. Um, so again, even if it wasn't for them, I think people were really useful at looking through my um, forecast and sort of um, talking through with me. Mm. And I mean, obviously they know you, they know you and your work ethic. What were the other things that you felt um, tipped people into, to wanting to invest in the company? I think that cycling has been a boom sector for a long time and it's very much a different market to me, but I know that Rafa is one of those brands that's absolutely famous for knocking on, what did he do? 100 doors or something? He went to see a hundred venture capitalists or something. And you know, all of them said no, except one. And you know, they must've all been kicking themselves because he went on to you know, exit for a serious amount. So I think that was very much in the ether at about the time that I was going out with a cycle helmet for a different market, but still a market that I could show um, was a scalable market not just in the UK but around the world mm. yeah so market a, a scalable market um, and a growing market too yes. and then what about what about the sort of the brand story and your kind of not only the design but the fact that you're manufacturing in the UK Did, was that an important factor too I think so I think you know there's always going to be one or two people that just think honestly it's not worth the time just go straight to China get it done you'll get it cheaply but everyone who invested actually saw the worth of manufacturing in the UK um, it can take a little bit longer but there's great plus sides um, they never mind telling you if there's a delay and why there's a delay you know you just get an honest answer um, whereas I've started off getting one component made in China and pretty quickly brought the tools back because so I found the delays there were interminable. You couldn't get a straight answer as to why things were going wrong. Mm. So I've enjoyed working in the UK. I think that it's very well seen. British manufacturing has a great cachet abroad. And that has proved since we've launched, particularly in the Far East, South Korea, Japan and China themselves really want to buy British made goods. Mm. So it's um, for the brand, it's something really special and it's very valuable to manufacture mm. here in the eyes of foreign consumers yeah that's good so you kind of that was your 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 standpoint your vision and the investors yes and sadly in europe you know before brexit we were seen as the coolest nation with all our goods we really were on a high in paris and berlin i did find it was interesting doing a trade fair a few months afterwards where there was a little bit well you know made in greece is nice too made in france it's natural people are a little bit you know sad about it but I, do, I think long term it's still respected mm. our second biggest market is germany they love british made goods mm. um so we all seem to be still friends and, but it was to begin with i do feel that you know britain was seen as extremely cool mm. in europe as well when i first started out and made my decision to manufacture in the uk and what so what about um i mean let's talk about kind of gender for a second because um, when I think of the cycling industry and all the startups that I've seen raising money in the last few years it's been quite male dominated yes and it has been very much the kind of uh, the mammals you know the middle-aged men in like yeah. uh, off in their packs you know it's yeah. like so did you find as a, as a as a female entrepreneur going out into this industry that that presented any challenges or, or did you not see any difference 
It's interesting. It's hard to tell. I found that with the investors I spoke to, I didn't have any horror stories from being a woman. I found that because I was able to talk about the market size, I had strong forecasts, that I didn't feel there was any particular bias against it. Um, in manufacturing, it's often quite good to be a woman. I think you'll notice a little bit more. It can take manufacturers so long to get back to you. Um, you stand out a little bit. But so far, I hadn't noticed much bias. And I find that the cycle industry, um, I've worked in lots of sectors in my life, I do find it to be really friendly. So the brands that are there, whether it's bicycles or accessories, um, by and large, it is quite male orientated, but the, the managing director, the CEOs of uh, different cycling brands have been um, really pleasant to deal with. Mm, that's good to hear. And I think I suspect that probably the the um, amount of time and care that you took in building really robust forecasts and, yes. and understanding the market and the data around that was probably very helpful for you too. Because um, I think that's kind of demonstrating that it's, it's not just a kind of a passion project, that there's actually a, a super genuine yeah. business case here is, is really helpful. I think what I did have though is from two investors, and I think this could be a slight female flaw, is they said, look, I'm not going to invest because I think you've undervalued your company and it's just too small amount that you're asking for. And I had two people saying, if you'd actually valued this, look at your market figures, if you'd actually valued your business at, say, 5 million, you're asking for 1 million, that I could do with the fundraising I'm going for. But you're asking for a smaller amount and these are your forecasts and I'm not sure, you know, this doesn't fit in. So, you know, of course, I'd smile and say, well, fine, I'll come back with a new deck next week. But um, a little bit late. Yeah, what do you think that about that? Do you, do you agree with that statement? It's in, well, I wasn't sure, but then I have seen since then, I've seen a cycle helmet brand that managed to get at seed stage £2 million investment recently. So actually, maybe I wasn't thinking big enough with the size of the market. And had I had the extra funds, it would have accelerated the development of the product. And I went from you know, one handmade product to an injection molded product. Mm -hmm. And if you do have money to develop things, for instance, sizes at the same time, rather than doing a very linear process of one by one, then, you know, it would save more time, you'd make money faster. Mm. I mean, it is an interesting question, isn't it? Kind of, do you go big fast or do you yes. have a big goal, but go step by step? And I think you're right in saying that many women are go for the kind of latter approach because yes. it's we're probably possibly a bit more um risk aware i wouldn't say we're risk averse but risk no, not at all but risk aware maybe more modest sometimes is what i've heard mm. from talking to investors about the differences in how men and women present their pitches mm. um, people have suggested that women aren't quite giving the same hockey stick that perhaps their male counterparts do yeah but it's 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 an interesting one because you also see people kind of massively overvalue their business, raise way too much money, and then yeah. go up quite quickly. So it's a, it's a tricky one, but I, I, I think worry sometimes that it stops women scaling up as quickly as they might. I agree. When something like COVID-19 happens, you suddenly think, oh my goodness, so if I had raised a lot more money, and sat on this, actually would carry on, and we're now just far away with new business development. We'd do this, we'd do that. But then on the other hand, we haven't got big overheads and we're very lean and it's been really easy just to sort of pivot, change a little bit and just keep going. So I think growing slowly in the long term does mean that you grow a really good little team around you because every hire is so important and taken so slowly um, that, yeah, there's no harm in growing slowly, even yeah. though it is 
Well, I think it's about it's got, to, got to fit with with you and your yes. personal ambitions and what you feel comfortable with. And it's a challenging one, isn't it? When you've got a lot on your plate, when you're managing um, the business, managing fundraising, managing family, all those things. There may be people saying, well, you should go big fast, but maybe that doesn't fit with, with what you want, which is the most important thing at the end of the day. It is. And I've always loved working from home and I've got a really experienced team who have families of their own and they love working from home as well. So I have really talented people um, who are happy. One of them works three days a week rather than five so she can fit her childcare around that. And I'm actually getting someone for an affordable salary who would be incredibly expensive full time. And she's brilliant. What she does, extremely motivated. And we, before COVID-19, worked well by just working together one day a week. Every Monday we'd meet to the shared workspace and then we'd go off and do our own thing the rest of the week. And I don't mind what hours of the day people are working. If they want to stop and do a dog walk at 10 o'clock, that suits them, it's fine. If you've set people targets and they're working to know what they're doing, I think the world of work does need to be more flexible. Mm, yeah. So it's balance, isn't it? It's a, it's yeah. a balance. And so you, so you did your first round for 150K and then you subsequently raised another 275K also yeah. from didn't you so was that um was that easier than the first round harder than the first round it was a lot easier than the first round so two of my investors came onto my board afterwards um one of them david batty is ex-private equity and he was just in the process of setting up his own company which was helping startup businesses raise under a million pounds so that was nice and that he was there as well to give me advice Again, critique the startup deck and also introduced me to a couple of the investors in his network. But it was so much simpler the next time round. You also have sales to start off with. You have retailers. Um, and it was very clear what we needed to do as well. So we had the carbon fibre helmet in the market, handmade product. We couldn't produce enough product to scale, but we could show the demand was there. So the second round, again, was for something that we hadn't developed. So it was to go out for injection moulding tools in the UK and produce a cheaper version of the same product. Um, or you were already proving traction in the market at that point. Already proving, and for extra hires, because it was still just myself with um, some freelance help. So it was also for getting an operations director. Mm. And now we have somebody working on sales as well. Okay, interesting. And so, but with your, you had a valuation of 1.5 million at that, at that point on that second round. I mean, again, do, yeah. you, do you look back now and think, oh, you know, perhaps I should have raised more on that round too. And I do. I think, again, this actually, in between the SEIS and the EIS, a big brand approached me and asked me to put together an IM because they were looking to invest and take a share in Dashiell. That was extremely time consuming. So that took about four or five months. And in the end, it didn't work out because nothing did Dashiell. They had something else within their business they had to concentrate on. And then suddenly I realized I needed to get the money in quite quickly. So as whereas I think we really could have gone out for 1.75 easily, perhaps 2 million if we'd pushed it, um, we need to get the money in fast. And so I agreed to take the slightly lower valuation um, to close it faster. Mm, and yeah. now I'm wondering if I just held out a little bit again in the second round. I had someone saying, I think this is undervalued. I actually think, you know, you should be saying it's worth two million. Yes, it was interesting. Mm. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> and, um, I mean, the main thing is we got the money to get the new product to market. Yeah. And actually, from the sound of it, both of your rounds compared to 
lots of entrepreneurs rounds were done quite quickly and reasonably painlessly um, I don't know whether you would feel yeah. that I think it does always take longer from the initial ideas when you close the room it is six months I think approximately because there's a few people that want not many some people are so direct you meet them and that's it they'll invest after one meeting which is wonderful mm. but occasionally you have someone you have four meetings with they still can't make up their mind um, and it's hard to filter out when we, you know, you're waiting to hear, waiting to hear. And in the end, we close the round because we think this person just, they didn't come back. They just couldn't decide whether to invest or not. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really good insight, actually. And I, my view is that you, you ought to be able to get um, pretty solid commitment from somebody quite quickly off the back of one, if not two meetings and it's so common for people to get led down the garden path by investors who they just don't want to say no because they, got they just out. like the process I yeah. think they like going for the coffee and chatting about the business and finding out more and it's quite useful because they've got other investments not in your sector but they're learning more about your marketing plans about this about that and yeah I don't know if it's malicious but it is a little exhausting I think you're right I think two meetings should be enough for anyone if you've got a product you can show them in the meeting sales figures and a deck then that should be enough yes so beware of time wasters as well meaning as they might seem it's very frustrating when you're trying to get around closed interesting so in terms of your future strategy on fundraising then i'm sure you've learned a lot particularly some thoughts around valuation raise amount and of course we're in some challenging times right now as we're doing this interview in the middle of lockdown um so how is business affected by um, the coronavirus crisis and what what do you see the challenges being for you in growing the business in the next few years and and what's the funding going to look like around that do you think well, I'm giving you a very different answer in April to how I would have done if we'd have done this interview in March I think like everyone in March the shutters came down all of our big wholesale orders across mainland Europe so France and Germany we're really going to get our growth from were just cancelled um, and as ever it had taken a lot longer for me to get this new scalable product finished so actually we only had all three sizes for the first time ever available end of March so it was tragic that then the wholesale orders got cancelled but suddenly in April um, we found that our sales are booming um, we immediately stopped all advertising on Instagram and Facebook. We decided to try and put money into PR instead. Uh, the idea that really I didn't want to be sort of doing um, proactive advertising, going to new people and spending money to see if they want to help it. I'd rather be just putting out good content and seeing if that's something people are looking at in lockdown. And it's worked really well. We also did um, a campaign with the NHS. So a lot of key workers have been cycling to avoid public transport. So we donated helmets to the NHS via two bike hire schemes, fully charged and barrel. And then the demand was so high, we thought we can't actually donate any more than this. So we've done for every helmet bought from our site online this month. We've donated another to an NHS worker. Again, that spread a lot of goodwill, a lot of good social media. And uh, online sales are up 300% in April. Wow. Okay, it's really good. <laughs> so that has meant that even though we've lost big wholesale orders, that's great. We can carry on. Um, we know that um, we won't have to close if this carries on at this rate. We had a decent amount of stock made before lockdown, which will see us through for the next couple of months. So that side of things has been great. 
Um, ever since only when you launch, you realise what the holes are in your range and what you need. So we've got huge demand in Asia, in South Korea and Japan, but they do have rounder shaped heads. And so they're finding that our shape, which is sort of this shape, doesn't fit. They need something a little bit more that shape. And so we are keen to go out, potentially we'll need to do funding with this now because sales have dipped a little. We might need to do fundraising again to fund the Asian head mould for this so that we can triple our sales in Asia. Mm. Um, we were just bringing out a kid's helmet when COVID-19 struck. That's in two sizes. One size will just be stuck now because the safety test houses will be on PPE equipment for goodness knows how long they're not going to look at a cycle helmet quite rightly because they have to do protective equipment and medical equipment. So we're looking at actually just launching the kids range as it is. We'll just have it in one size, be slightly older children. We can't get it printed in lockdown. So I've supplied uh, UK made stickers. There's a one man band who creates wolfproof stickers. He's doing them to go with the helmets. Um, but these type of things make you think, gosh, do you need more money in the bank to sort of see through these wobbles? Um, how, you know, how many lockdowns are we going to have over the next year? And if they don't find a vaccine. Uh, so I think we're doing well. We've got cash in the bank. We've got sales and we are seeing the rest of the world start to open up. So again, we're getting orders from South Korea already. Um, we're just starting conversations in Japan again. But I think that that wasn't the last fundraise, the EIS. I think we will have to do one more round and make sure that we've got the money to create every product that we need to until we can just fund, fund all the product development we need through profit. Mm. But I mean, in many ways, you know, your the cycling industry has probably the prospects for that industry are pretty good. Great, um, you're in yeah. a good place. The business, you know, is looking quite strong. So, and I think lots of people are still thinking, well, you know, can I? Is it possible to raise money yes. now or this year? Or and I think if you've got a strong business with great long-term prospects, and you can demonstrate how you can navigate your way through the current crisis, then you absolutely have a, have a strong chance of raising investment when if you need to right no see that's interesting i was wondering if i have been too busy just managing everything at the moment on top of whole schooling but my next the minute i get a sort of minute i am thinking of approaching yes contacts potentially moving up to venture capital this time and talking to the firms now that have expressed an interest in the past and just following up and saying you know do you have funds are you available are you interested it'd be quite a good time there's probably some people who have got plenty of time now to chat they're not stuck time. in meetings people have time i mean there are there are lots of people who are holding on to their money but there are people who still want to invest if they believe there's a long term it's all about the long-term value play so i think Yes. And also there are a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs who aren't fundraising when they might have been. So there's possibly less capital, but maybe also chasing yes, it. So it's kind of, and it's a moving feast. I mean, listen, we're, we're, we're having this discussion in April. Who knows where we're going to be in. I know. I'm just living month to month at the moment. Yeah. And I think there's, there is a, there is a, you've got to make a judgment call with, with fundraising, you know, and it's really hard. Am I raising enough? Is the valuation right? Mm -hmm. And all you can do is make the, the decisions you make with the information you have at the time. Yes. And if you can keep moving your business forward and keep building that long-term proposition for your customers and for your investors and for yourself, then that's the best you can do. I agree. You know? So, but it's good. You've, you, you've done your raise, at, you know, ahead of the crisis. So thank goodness we've got money in the bank, we've got stock. Yeah. So actually we're in a good position and it's really interesting just seeing how many people are taking up cycling. 
I don't know how they'll find the manpower to do it, but if they could consider putting up pop-up cycle lanes like they have in Milan, like they have in Berlin, then there could be a real surge of cycling in cities that would offset potentially so many deaths that we get from air pollution. Yeah, well, it would be wonderful to see, wouldn't it, that one, it yes. could be one of those great stories that comes off the back of this crisis. Yes. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing your fundraising story with us. It's been really interesting to hear the, the journey, the path. Thanks. Um, no, thanks, Julia. It was good to talk to you. Yeah, and I wish you all the best with um, getting through this year and, and continuing to build the business. Thanks very much. All right, thank you so much. Thanks for following Fundraising Stories with Female Founders. This content is all provided to you for free. So if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe so you never miss another one. Enter the Arena has helped hundreds of female founders fly through pre-raise and investment and onto the exponential growth of their business. Our first-hand experience, expert guidance and proven programs help female founders unleash the Wonder Woman inside. To see if we can help you do the same, head over to www.entertheArena.co.uk. I'm Julia Elliott-Brown and I look forward to talking with you soon.